0: Hello and welcome to the Data Point Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Matthews. In this episode, we're going to be sitting down with Dr. Mona Siddiqui, MD. Mona is the Chief Data Officer for the United States Department of Health and Human Services. We had an outstanding conversation covering such diverse grounds as the role of data uh, in connecting the various elements of the health ecosystem, how government plays into convening some of those elements. And uh, we also talked about tea people. I'm going to let you listen in to figure out how tea people figures into this conversation. Anyway, hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, my conversation with Dr. Mona Siddiqui, MD. Mona, welcome to the show. Thank you. We are really glad to have you. Are you, uh, have you been to Austin before? or Is this your first time?
1: I have been to Austin a couple of times, and I love coming back here every single time. It's a great city, uh, a great group of people, and a very innovative community.
0: Fantastic. That's been my experience as well. I'm not a native, but man, it's a nice place to call home. Yeah.
1: The music isn't half bad either.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Are you going to get to experience any fun while you're here, or is it going to be pure hackathon?
1: I think it's going to be pure hackathon, which is uh, how it should be this weekend, and uh, gives me another excuse to come back. Exactly.
0: It's a different kind of fun.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so. Um, I wanted to start off, you're in a role that actually hasn't existed for all that long in the in the big scheme of things. Can you tell us a little bit about what drew you to the Department of Health and Human Services? I know this is not the first role that you've played there. Tell us about how you got your start and how, you know, you wound up uh, working uh, for the United States government.
1: Yeah, I think it's been a really interesting journey for me. Um, And I've been very privileged to see parts of the federal government that are really innovative. And I think it's the parts that a lot of people don't usually see. Um, I started off in the last administration working for the White House Social and Behavioral Sciences team, Mm -hmm. which was a startup within the White House looking at how you embed insights from behavioral economics into government programs. Um, And then do randomized control trials of those uh, those interventions to see whether they're effective and efficient before you scale those interventions. And so it was a very data-driven approach um, to making government run more effectively. And for me, it was fantastic to be able to bring both my healthcare background as well as my quantitative background and work in a real-world setting where we can have potential for
0: impact at scale. Can you give, give me an example of what kind of problem you might have been tackling in that context? It's really fascinating.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'll give an example of a problem that uh, wasn't in the healthcare sector, but that the team worked on, which was how do you get um, service members to sign up for their savings programs? Oh. And, um, and so knowing that that problem um, exists, we sent out a letter uh, the first of the year, Um, And there were two separate letters, one that was sort of the traditional letter that went out, um, and one where we embedded insights from behavioral economics and nudges. And then we uh, sent those two different uh, sets of people and and saw who enrolled um, and what the differential rates of enrollment were. And uh, the folks who received the intervention letter had a significantly higher percentage of enrollment.
0: That is fascinating. Yeah. What what kind of scale are we talking about here? Hundreds, thousands?
1: So I don't recall the exact number of of, uh, of, of individuals that got the letter. It was um, we we would of course, send um, it to a sample size where we would know that the impact was actually an impact, um, and so we would choose a sample size appropriately. But of course, also not send it to so many people where uh, people are getting bombarded by information mm-hmm. that may not be effective. And so, um, so we so that was one area. We yeah. also actually actively worked on um, ACA enrollment um, and doing rapid AB testing. Of um, the language that went out to consumers to get them to enroll for health insurance plans, um, so it was it was um, a phenomenal experience to be able to work on topics that were completely disparate, and also learn from colleagues who um, you know had domain expertise in a, a wide variety. Yeah. But we're all working towards how do you get your government to run more effectively for the citizen for the end
0: user? Yeah, as a citizen, I find that very <clears throat> encouraging. I mean, that's really pretty incredible stuff. And those are big problems at pretty significant scale.
1: Yeah, and you know, we talk a lot about uh, having data-driven decisions. This really was a data-driven program,
0: yeah. um,
1: and I think ultimately that's where we should all want our government to move towards, is to
0: become more data-driven. So when you were getting started, if I recall correctly, did you get an engineering degree as an undergrad? Um,
1: so I, I do have a uh, another master's in uh, operations engineering as
0: well. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Did, when you when you were uh, you know just first starting your graduate work, for example, did you have a clear sense of where you wanted to take your career? Absolutely and, not. And maybe give us a, just a little <laughs> bit of background because I know I yeah. and I know citing your credentials is gonna is not going to be exciting for you, but it is a really interesting background that you're combining a medical degree with an engineering degree, can you talk a little bit about what, what drove that mix for you?
1: Yeah, so I would say that I um, always had a wide variety of interests, and um, I, I realized a long time ago that I there wasn't a set career path that I wanted to follow, um, and so really over the past several years, what I've done is just do the things that I love, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. studying um, a particular area, or whether it's taking a job, um, it's, it's fun for me to look at how to combine uh, knowledge and experience in different domains to really impact solutions. And I think, you know, in healthcare especially, that is really required. Um, we've seen our usual mechanisms and our usual ways of doing things that, that have, haven't really um, led to solutions that really are transformative. Um, and I do think that, you know, we talk about T people, right, um, so uh, T people having a domain expertise in one area and the, and, the, and the head of the T sort of skills that are transferable across different okay. domains. Um, I'm actually think, not
0: familiar with that concept, but that's very yeah. interesting.
1: But I think increasingly uh, having people that are double T's, right, domain expertise in yeah. more than one area and skills that are transferable across those, I think is going to be more and more important. Um, But there wasn't really wasn't planful at all. Uh, For me, this was really about what do I love doing and where can I have impact and what's the mission that I believe in? And I think ultimately, those are the things that drive me every day.
0: That's fantastic. And I, I guess I'm curious because one of the things that feels very thematic of this Hackathon yeah. of lots of the really interesting initiatives going on in healthcare today is that they are bringing different disciplines together. Have you found that being trained in different disciplines has helped you to facilitate that process?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, th- there are ways that uh, are very clear and there are ways that I probably don't fully appreciate. But mm. being able to translate across um, a room full of people that perhaps are coming with very different perspectives and often very entrenched views. I, I do think it's it's helpful to have people who can translate those and uh, and really synthesize uh, sort of what should happen next. Yeah. Um, I think oftentimes we are looking at the thing that's most immediate and not being, um, not thinking sort of long-term where the system needs to be. Um, And for solution finding, I think you need to stop looking at just the margins and really think about what are the things and who are the people that need to be at the table Mm -hmm. to really have those conversations that can change the way we're doing things. Make
0: sure you don't get in a forest and the trees sort of a situation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I'm always curious about for people who are clearly very driven, uh, have a lot of passion for their work, how did you first come to work for HHS and did you at the time have any misgivings about that or was that something that you had always sought?
1: Well, so after um, the White House uh, team, I joined CMMI as an innovator Mm. in residence. Um, And that was, again, during the last administration, and had the opportunity to work with uh, a team of people to think about how to do more rapid cycle testing of payment models. Um, And again, it was a very data-driven approach and thinking about, from an operations side, what would work. Um, And so then when the opportunity came up to take this role, I saw it, again, as building on the experience of how do you use data Mm. and how do you think about um, uh, streamlining operations to uh, make the department, again, be more data-driven, Yeah, right? We're talking a lot in healthcare about being value-driven, and the underlying method to achieve that is really data. Um, So as HHS and CMS and others are really pushing the healthcare system towards being more data-driven, I think we also, as an organization, need to become more data-driven over time. Um, How are we looking at uh, the impact of programs that we're running? Mm -hmm. How are we thinking about managing resources appropriately? Um, And that's not a short-term investment. That's really a long-term project. Uh, and, and it's not really just the department; it's private sector Fortune 500 companies as well that are grappling with the same issue.
0: Absolutely, how do you
1: become more data-driven over time?
0: I'm really curious because you mentioned that one of the projects that you took on was around the evolution of payment models. You know, which is it can seem a little far from the exam room, but such an enormous part of our healthcare issues today. Is that something that you felt? Uh, Was uh, you well-equipped for as a a medical doctor, you know, coming in and getting... I mean, that gets pretty wonky pretty fast coming out of the insurance space. I've had some experience. How was that experience for you, and were you able to tie it into the clinical experience?
1: So, again, I I think the clinical experience absolutely informs all of the work. It may not uh, seem completely apparent how Mm -hmm. it's doing that, but absolutely, I think working on the ground in a hospital in a large healthcare system like Hopkins provides you a set of skills that uh, you know sh- really should uh, be part of the conversation uh, as-, as we think about uh, payment and for me this was an opportunity to really think about how do you design these models to be uh, more rapid mm. than where we are right now and what uh, what parts of HHS can you tap into to do more rapid cycle testing? Um, So from that perspective, it was a, you know, multifold problem. It was an operations problem, really. Um, But it was also looking at resources that are available Mm. that we may not traditionally tap into uh, to do testing. Again, how do you use resources in a more efficient way um, to make your government run in a a better way for the end, end consumer?
0: Yeah. And honestly, the idea of being able to do that rapid cycle testing is so intriguing, I guess I'm curious whether there are any sort of techniques or success stories or failure stories you can talk about relative to what are some of the things that you found particularly uh, uh, amenable to sort of the rapid cycle testing approach? What are some things that maybe didn't? Uh...
1: So I think there's a lesson to be learned there and what are uh, innovations that are happening in the market that we can um, test through uh, uh, through our programs as well. And so, not just working within an isolation within our own programs, but really going out to the market and seeing what solutions are effective and what which ones are not uh, before we spend an o- enormous amount of resources um, uh, developing um, methods from the ground up. Um, so, so that was a, a big lesson learned for me. And the other the other piece is really. Are that there are um, again um, there are networks within um, programs that other parts of HHs manages outside of Mm -hmm. you know CMS or CMMI that you can't tap into um, to do testing, Um, and so again it was it was a it was a very interesting uh, process.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I can imagine, and honestly again, as a citizen, I find it so encouraging to know that that work is happening inside government. Uh, and I'm not surprised by it, but mm-hmm. it's always really, it's good to hear. Yeah. Are there any things that came out of that experience uh, as uh, innovator in residence that led you to think, you know what, this is something that I want to pursue? Uh, you know, what, what, what drove you sort of from there into your current role?
1: Yeah, so... Um... You know, both, I think, especially in in the the White House team, the Social and Behavioral Sciences team, uh, we were using data from multiple different programs Mm -hmm. to um, do our evaluations of the interventions, and uh, we had a, a, a tremendous amount of difficulty accessing that data, Sometimes, And so when I came to the department, one of the first things I was thinking about even before I ever took on the role of chief data officer is how are we creating the institutional infrastructure that we need to make using data uh, an easy ask? Uh, because it should not take a year to negotiate a data use agreement, right. especially if you are working with another part of the federal government. And it isn't just for research, but it's actually for improving program mm. efficiency and effectiveness. And, and so my current role really is about creating that enterprise level um, uh, architecture and the governance um, and changing cultural norms over time. Yeah. Um, and and it's, uh, it's fantastic. I think that the department is taking a leadership role in, uh, in really pushing this in the federal government. I think that there are lessons to be learned from the work that we're doing that other agencies can take on as well. Mm-hmm. And as part of the work, we're committed to making it as public and transparent as possible. Um, so we released a report um, about a month ago that outlined the challenges that uh, we face. And I, you know always want to want to sort of highlight that the federal government doesn't always um, write a report uh, stating its problems, right? And for me, this was a really important step to highlight the areas that our staff and leadership are articulating as as challenges uh, because we really need to be able to agree on a list of those uh, those issues before we go and figure out the right solution. And so having done that first phase, um, we're now moving into figuring out what is the roadmap for uh, creating that infrastructure that we want to develop.
0: Outstanding. We're going to take a really quick break. We are going to be right back with Dr. Mona Siddiqui. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. This is Reed Smith. And this is Chris Boyer. And we are co-hosts on a show called Touchpoint, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, not only for just hospitals, but health systems and physician practices. In every episode, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and other things that are impacting the healthcare industry today. And while you listen to this show, we would certainly love you to check out ours. All you have to do is swing on over to touchpoint.health for more information, and also some of the other shows that are featured on the Touchpoint Media Network. All right. Welcome back to the Data Point Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and I am here with Dr. Mona Siddiqui, who is the Chief Data Officer for the United States Department of Health and Human Services. I got that all out without choking. Uh, (laughs) Congratulations to me. Do you ever have trouble with that one?
1: I don't usually uh, uh, describe myself, so. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Good point. Good point. Anyway, we're so glad you're back. And as we went into the break, you were talking about something that is a little bit unusual, uh, or at least something that we wouldn't necessarily expect from a government agency to really take an honest look at what are some of the big problems that you're facing. I thought it would be really interesting for our listeners to talk a little bit about what you found and how that's going to impact you know, the next months and, and years of, of your work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... So let me actually take a step back and really talk through how this work started. Uh, When I took on this role, um, simultaneous to that, the department was looking at, um, so so there were work groups that had been convened to look at how to become a more effective and efficient organization. Mm -hmm. And as part of those work groups that were in things like uh, R&D, science policy, uh, the one common theme from across those 10 different work groups was that HHS is data-rich and information-poor. Yeah. So I was tasked with developing, again, this infrastructure to create a, a more cohesive data-sharing environment. The first thing we did actually was host a code um, and it was focused around the opiate epidemic. Uh, we hosted it last December, and we had 250 people from across the country come to HHS. Um, and code using 70 data sets that we had put together, both from within HHS, from other federal departments, and from states. Wow! And it was fantastic for both HHS leadership, um, our acting secretary at that time, as well as HHS staff, to come by and see how data was getting used to develop solutions to one mm-hmm. of the most complex problems facing this country today. That also allowed us um, and the team, my team, to really understand the barriers to data sharing in a a very rapid sprint. And so we took that information, and for the first six months of this year spent over 100 hours interviewing uh, leadership from uh, CMS, FDA, CDC, uh, NIH, uh, AHRQ, and uh, about 11 different parts of HHS, and leadership and staff to understand, again, what are the priorities, what are the challenges, what are the barriers? And and those structured interviews that we conducted then led into the report on data sharing that we released in September. Once we did that work, we also went back to a subset of those agencies to say, okay, we now have a better sense of what some of the challenges are. Help us define what the solution should look like for the mm. department, both in terms of the policies and the governance, but also in terms of um, any platform that may need to get developed. So to go back to the report, the challenges that were outlined were, for instance, first one, the... Um, that there isn't a consistent process in place for data sharing. So if somebody from one agency requests data from another agency, it could take two months, um, it could take over a year. Uh, there really isn't a process that's streamlined. Um, there is no consistency, um, uh, transferability. Uh, there's there's no transparency in the process. Mm-hmm. If uh, somebody says no to data sharing, what
0: then? What's the consequence? What's the right? consequence?
1: Um, and at the department level, and I would say even at the agency level, we often don't have insight into how those decisions are getting made. That is a huge piece of, of the of the problem. Yeah. Um, the other thing we realized is that agencies often aren't resourced appropriately. So we talk a lot about, data sharing, but if we don't um, enable our agencies to have the right uh, people and the right type of expertise to to enable that to happen, um, then it's just a tagline and we're really not um, committed. Uh, So, part of it is, how do you build capacity over time? Uh, And what is it that we need to do from a department level? What is it that we need to do from a federal government level overall? So that that was another. We spent a significant time in the report talking about the regulatory challenges. So every agency uh, within HHS, CDC, CMS, FDA, every agency operates within its own statutory authority. Mm -hmm. And every data set can be governed by its own set of regulations, which creates, again, an incredibly challenging environment if an individual in one uh, agency is navigating an agreement with another uh, agency and... The fact that, uh, so I visited one agency that told me they had 200 data use agreements with another agency. Okay. Um, So think about every single individual navigating that whole process rather than having a standardized framework based on, a enterprise level understanding of all of the regulatory issues Wow. and so we need to begin to grapple with that and to standardize that to the extent possible
0: so i'm curious about the goal seems really clear the method is really interesting yeah in terms of starting starting this process or kicking off a, a new stage of this process with a very public and visible event like a code what was, the, what was the reason behind that? Can you say a little more about it?
1: So when you and I talk about data, we understand the value, right? Yeah. For people who are not embedded in this space every day, what is the value of data? I mean, we ask people to believe in the value that can get created from it. Uh, but really, have we demonstrated what that value is?
0: Fair question. Um,
1: and so... In my mind, having an event like the Codathon, um, one of the purposes it served was for people to see very applicable tools getting developed using HHS data. Um, and so the fact that the HHS secretary came by four times unannounced wow. and sat down with teams to look at the solutions that were getting developed using HHS data, to me, that was incredible. Um, the fact that staff were coming by um, to see what was happening. It was uh, culture change happening in real time. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there has been uh, so the solutions that got developed um, are continuing, uh, they're continuing to work on those. And we'll actually have an announcement um, uh, later on in this year about one of those solutions um, oh. getting scaled. Uh, but I've been asked by leadership to um, do another code on and, and to me, that, uh, that speaks to uh, the fact that people have started to see data as a mm. mechanism of collaboration between the pi- private sector and the public sector.
0: Yeah. It totally makes sense. And I guess, again, really encouraging to hear that senior officials were getting personally involved in that process and getting a chance to see some of the what were no doubt very interesting solutions that were being developed. I'm wondering also were they able to get some feedback from the participants about the data itself and the form that it came in and how could it be more usable? Was there that sort of feedback loop as well?
1: Absolutely. So um, my team actually, after the event, conducted uh, a survey of all of the participants, both about the data and about the event itself Mm -hmm. uh, and about, you know, who these people were and why they wanted to be engaged. And for instance, 60% of our participants were not traditional healthcare uh, individuals, oh, interesting. which was which was great. Yeah, um, and we got a lot of feedback about uh, the the data sets as well, the format of the data sets. Um, Again, this was the first event, and I wanted to have as granular information as possible. And so we tried to go for at least county level, um, you know, zip code level if we could. But it is incredibly uh, challenging, and that is one of the things we learn. Like, what are the barriers as we try to get access to that
0: information? Man, that is. but that's a beautiful thing, though. When you can get that granular, you leave so much flexibility for a lot of very creative applications. Yeah, Uh, yeah. That's great. So... You mentioned that you've been asked to do another codathon. thon Is there anything that you can tell us about whether that might happen or some potential topics, or is that still uh, so we're off the still
1: radar? we're still looking. Um, I would love to do one. Uh, we just have to get the team uh, uh, bandwidth uh, increased a little bit to focus on an event of this scale. Remember last year when we had this, um, we had two hundred and fifty people come, and we were, Turning away, um, you know, close to 100 people who who wanted wow. to come, and and I kept the building open overnight, and so you know, security and everything else that yeah. the logistics of it, I uh, just can't uh, uh, state enough. Um, so we're gonna have to figure it out, and I'm gonna have to get the team revved up about it again. But I would love oh, nice. to host it. Um, yeah.
0: I think that's incredible. I know this has actually gone incredibly fast. We're nearly out of time, but I wanted to ask you something in the context of the hackathon that we're a part of right now, this health equity hackathon. There are people from all walks of life here, people that have uh, uh, a high technology background, high analytics background, but others who do not, others who are... um, much more interested in the the social sciences or our health practitioners, I find it really interesting that all of those people could come together to build solutions. You talked about the fact that today for healthcare, it's going to be critical for us to bring people of different backgrounds together. If you were to uh, have a wish list for the kind of people you'd like to see coming forward to work in Department of Health and Human Services, for example, to really be a part of some of this solution building, what are some of the some of the passion areas or the disciplines that you'd like to see included that we might not normally think about?
1: Yeah, so you know, having built this team from the ground up, I would say that recruitment to the federal government is c- continues to be a challenge. Sure. Um, Having people who are technically oriented, um, you know, developing data science skills, um, it's not just a challenge for the federal government. I know it's in the private sector, but right. retaining those individuals is, um, you know, is a challenge for us. But I think ultimately, what I always say is that the people I would love to see be more involved in the federal government are those who are passionate about improving the lives of individuals. Um, I, there is nowhere I think that you could work where you could have the level of impact that you can um, at the federal government. Um, and having seen that up front and, and close, uh, that is my recruitment strategy. Yeah. Um, you know, people who are driven uh, to get stuff done and people who are uh, mission focused. That's what we need ultimately. I think that's what any organization needs, but that's what um, the federal government needs um, more than anywhere else.
0: Fantastic. And that is a great way, I think, to wrap up this discussion. Thank you so much. Thank we you. are really pleased to have had Dr. Mona Sadiki as our guest today. Good luck. We cannot wait to see that next code Uh thon And uh, welcome back to Austin sometime soon Thank for you. something beyond just Hackathon.
1: Awesome. Sounds great. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: This show is made possible in part by the Social Health Institute. Through research and partnerships with healthcare organizations around the country, the Social Health Institute explores new and innovative ways for hospitals, healthcare organizations to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategy. To learn more about the Social Health Institute, visit them online at socialhealthinstitute.com. That's socialhealthinstitute.com. Thanks so much for listening to the Datapoint podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chimose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.